0: Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope all is good with you and yours wherever you are in the world. Hope you had a good week. I had a good week. It was... uh it was enjoyable. It was quiet from an Arsenal perspective because when you win a game, big game or otherwise, it doesn't tend to resonate quite as long as it does when you lose. When you lose, you're, you're analyzing and overanalyzing perhaps at times and you're looking at all the things that went wrong and, well, how do we fix the things that went wrong? And there's recrimination and all that kind of stuff. So the discourse, the conversations tend to go on a bit longer, whereas when you win, I mean, what do you have? Got the old bench cam. I enjoy those. They're good. I like watching Mikel Arteta on the sideline, but I also like watching the crowd behind him as well, the people in the stands reacting to things the same way that he is. And then you have the, the moments of the game that you go back to again and again, uh, particularly the funny ones. Am I still watching the uh, Bruno Fernandes penalty? Yes. Yes, I am. Not quite as often as I was at the start of the week, I'll admit that. But from time to time, if I'm between tasks, sitting here at my desk, or those moments in our days where you just feel, you know, you feel a little kind of down or a little blue, whatever it might be, I just go to my VLC media player, and I open up the download of the game that I got, and I watch Bruno Fernandez doing a stupid little run-up, and taking his penalty, and and missing his penalty. I mean, should we watch it together now? Should we? I think we should. We'll watch it together with some Spanish commentary. Here we go.
1: Se concentra Bruno Fernandes. Pita Pauson. Va Bruno. Bruno con diestra, saltito. Oh! oh palo y cómo celebra Ramsdale en la cara de Bruno. Qué gesto de rabia de Ramsdale en la portería donde antes metió el gol saca, ahora ha fallado el penalti Bruno. No puede tener más dramas este partido. El guionista de este encuentro está loco.
0: Yes. Yes, even though you could only hear it, I'm sure you got the benefit of it as well. They were talking about Ramsay. Look at him. Look at the anger in his face. He's right up against Bruno. Look at him. This game is loco. What drama. It was drama, but it was also comedy. Not necessarily deliberate comedy, accidental comedy, like somebody falling and, and hitting their face, like one of those fail videos. It's not necessarily up there with... The kind of ones where, I don't know, there's a guy, he's got a scrambler motorbike, so he decides that he will use a ramp made of his friends holding up a board so he can leap over a barn, but he squashes his friends and just goes face first into the barn. It's not quite like that. It's like someone trying to do their job properly, but just not being able to do it. And that's what makes it funnier. So that has kept me going during this week. It has fed... And nourished my football soul. And I hope that there's more of that this weekend for Manchester United, for Bruno Fernandes. In fact, I wish misery on everybody apart from us. And I hope that comes to fruition as we look to face uh, West Ham this weekend. Just want to say thank you very much to everybody who has already bought tickets for the Arscast Extra and Arsenal Vision Crossover Live podcast on Saturday, May 21st at Union Chapel. The response has been slightly overwhelming. As I'm recording this, the tickets have just gone on general sale. So I don't know if by the time this comes out, there will be any tickets left. It does look as if it's going to be sold out, but we'll keep you up to date as best we can on that. They may all be gone by the time you're listening to this, in which case all I can say is thank you so much to everybody who bought tickets. Sorry if you were trying to get some and couldn't. Uh, The response has just been genuinely overwhelming. This is a, a big venue. And, you know, being perfectly honest, I didn't think it would sell out. Uh, It hasn't yet, but it might. Um, In which case, we will do more in the future. For those of you who've missed out, uh, we'll try and do more of these because clearly uh, there's a demand for them. And hopefully it's going to be a good night Saturday, May 21st, ahead of the Everton game. Looking forward to seeing lots of you there. And, of course, doing our very best to put on an enjoyable show. We'll have some Q&A. We'll have some prizes on the night. Maybe, uh, depending on what's happening, we might be able to get a special guest or two. I don't quite know yet. The details have all got to be worked out. But thank you, thank you to everybody who got involved and bought tickets. Right, let's get on with today's show. And as I said, it's been a quiet enough week, but there's still plenty to get our teeth into. With me to discuss that, from The Athletic, I'm delighted to welcome back Art De Roche. Hi, Art. Hi, Andrew, and hi, everyone that's listening. Thanks for having me back.
2: Uh, hopefully... I can be alright this time around as well. <laughs>
0: I think you were fine the last time. Are you still anxious about that? I hope not. you were uh, it was all no, good. <laughs> no.
2: I think it's more just um I, I want to impress, I guess, so hopefully I just put the best foot forward each time.
0: <laughs> That's it. Like you're coming in from the cold, a bit like Mohammed El Nani, but you're gonna come in and do a sterling <laughs> job. Don't worry about it. It's all it's all good. I wanted to ask you, um, you know, how is your coping mechanism with what's happened over the last couple of weeks? Because Arsenal, they lift us up and then they take us down and then they lift us back up again. And when you think about, you know, we know the three results that didn't go our way, so I don't necessarily want to dwell on those, particularly when the mood is good because we've had two results which have, once again, lifted us back up. Do you find yourself like fluctuating in terms of what you think about this team and what it can do and where it can go. And if so, you know, on a day-to-day basis, how do you cope with that? Like the expectation versus the reality and then the hope. And as we know, it's the hope, uh, that kills you. <laughs> um, so, you know, where, where do you, where do you go with all this yourself? Yeah, I think for me,
2: I, I cope fairly well, maybe with the, um, with the defeats because I feel I just kind of almost detach myself Mm. (laughs) mentally and emotionally when, when I see that happening. And then it's more when there is something on the line and you do have that hope. So say, if we go back to the first half of the Chelsea game, that was probably the most stressed I'd been watching (laughs) Arsenal all season. And then fast forward to the United game and I was I don't know how to even describe how i was watching that game because obviously i wasn't working so i was just watching that tv uh watching at home on Mm. tv with my brother and i i was just a wreck i couldn't (laughs) i couldn't i couldn't couldn't really watch it because you you see how well they can do and Mm. then just how how easily they can throw that away as well um but thankfully um they got six points from those two games that um were most recent. So hopefully that can continue as well.
0: Yeah, well, I think we're we're all hoping that. And and the thing about it is at the moment it means a lot. Doesn't it? What's happening means a lot for this season, for our investment in this season and and everything else, but also for the future. We're thinking not just about how this season ends and what it might mean, but what it could spell for the future in terms of, you know, big European knights perhaps being back at the Emirates and the kind of players maybe that you can bring in. So there's so much resting on these these last few games that the the fact that it matters means it, it takes more out of you, doesn't it, when you're watching?
2: Yeah, I think when discussions probably during that um spell where Arsenal lost three in a row. And there were those debates about whether it'd be better to actually go into the Europa League or or not. I think you see how almost backwards <laughs> that way of thinking is when when you get back, back amongst um, mm. the top four race. And I feel like when you have a chance to even just accelerate your progress a, a little bit, you have to go all in for that. And I feel... You just see the weight of those games is so heavy now, Mm. um, especially um, leading up to that North London derby, which is going to be crucial. Um, I feel like you just see how much, as you said, it means every 90 minutes is just... An insane ride, which i, I don 't think every anyone wants it to be like that, but uh, if that 's what it takes uh, to to make that top four dream
0: come true then i 'm sure everyone will take it oh for sure and and I think we 're seeing the emergence of some players who maybe wouldn 't have been top of people 's list when it comes to their contributions at this stage of the season. I think if you told people that at the business end of the season, uh, you've got Eddie and Ketty up front and you've got Mohamed Elneny in midfield, people would be asking, well, what's gone wrong for Arsenal? And look, you know, they're in the team because things did go a bit wrong and we've we've had to change things for various reasons. But the depth of squad and having squad players that you know you can count on is an important part of, of getting the job done. And it's hard to, you know, particularly when players get to a certain age, it's hard to keep them invested or interested or motivated, whatever you want to say. So someone like Elneny, for example, who is a, a really experienced player, um, first name on the team sheet, well, one of the first names on the team sheet, um, be behind another Mo guy, I think he's quite good, uh, <laughs> uh, for Egypt, you know, so he's gone away and he's played on loan he's come back uh, to arsenal and and hasn't really played a, a great deal it can be demoralizing for a player it can be a real test of their ability their character but also simply their 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 football skills because when you don't play competitively for a long time it can be hard to get yourself up to the level and i think One of the most amazing things about what Elneny has done in the last couple of weeks is, bar a slightly rusty first 10-15 minutes against Chelsea, is just get right up to the speed of games against top-class opposition. I know United aren't the United of, of old, but they're still a team that can hurt you. And for Elneny to come in and just sort of, okay, I'm here, I'm doing it, and I'm doing things... That I don't normally do as well, because we've needed him uh, to be a bit more progressive, if you like, over the last couple of weeks. It's been impressive, I think.
2: Yeah, I think the point you made about um, almost not looking too far into the future um, when there is so much in the line now is quite a good one, because... For me personally, I I would have thought Lokonga would have had that midfield spot for the rest of the season when Thomas Partey got injured just because of that element of planning ahead and maybe giving him minutes to get even more exposure to Premier League football. But then you see in those games, particularly against Brighton, and, um, I, and I just feel you saw uh, almost where the gap is in terms of just knowledge and know-how of what to deal with in the Premier League. Um, So what I kind of go back to quite often is the way he receives the ball. Um, Oftentimes, he's almost too open to a press, um, which I think is something that's not... uh, Almost a criticism, but just something that's going to develop over time. Um, and then with with Almeni, you just see someone who is probably more steady. But that's just what Arsenal need at the minute, because yeah. especially when you consider how chaotic the last couple of games have been. If if you have someone who you know you you have the almost um, the uh, you know what you're going to get from them, sure. Uh, and then, of course, as you mentioned, he has been a bit more progressive. I think if you look at the um, the bench cam video from the Manchester United game, I feel like Arteta is almost directing his passes um, to, to make sure that he's go- going into the right areas. And I think if you could have that alongside the steadiness uh, when there is so much... More chaos across the pitch, then then that can only help. And I think I I had to admit on on the hand break off <laughs> podcast that I I was wrong about wanting uh, or thinking that a Laconga would uh, stay in for the rest of the season. But I'm happy with being wrong if if this is the case.
0: Yeah, I mean that's. Uh... That's an interesting position. Not many people will uh, are prepared to admit that they're, <laughs> they're wrong when it comes to their football opinions. But like, there's nothing like a bit of humble pie if the team wins, or, or you know, it's it's for the benefit of Arsenal. And I know what you're saying about Lokonga. Like, I think if we were sitting in, if we were sitting in eighth place now, and there was no way we were going to get into the European positions, I would say, well, play him play Lokonga in these games, let him get the minutes. He is a work in progress. This is a development season for him. Let's just pile those minutes into him because we'll see the benefit of them next season. But there's a pragmatic approach to the way Mikel Arteta has had to build his team over the last couple of weeks and and look to his team selections. It's like, well, we do have a lot to play for. There is still the chance, a very good chance, that we could end up in, in the Champions League places. So, for me, it seems like the best way to deal with that is okay, lean into some of the experience that you have, which I think is um, in some ways helpful when there are, as you say, other elements of the side or other players who are a little less steady, shall we say and then the benefit to someone like Lokonga next season is that he gets to play European football or he gets more Premier League minutes, or you know the the level of players around him if we bring in better players in the summer everything lifts if we're in the champions league next season i think there's a benefit to a player for that like you know i see people talking about him as if like he's a failed signing which seems remarkable to me given his age it's just i know there's a, a short-termism to football opinion particularly online but you know not every player hits the ground running in their first season and some players in in certain positions need a bit more time to develop and it strikes me that that he is one of those
2: yeah, I feel with Le Conga there's almost a bit of recency bias against him as well, because when you look to the first half of the season, um, particularly, I believe, around the Newcastle game, and it might have been the Watford game as well at mm. home, I feel like he was one of Arsenal's strongest midfielders at that point. Of course, he had a rough um, day away at Anfield, but especially when you consider... The form Thomas Partey was in at that point of the season, I feel like Lokonga was doing fairly well for himself. And mm. I just feel, you, as has been the case with Nuno Tavares at, at left-back, you're going to have... you. It's not going to be a straight line mm. up that trajectory. I think you're going to have peaks and troughs. And that's where... And this isn't to say that Lokonga played terribly either against Brighton or Southampton. It was just more minor things that you kind of fixate on which could be a little bit better but I, as you mentioned to almost sacrifice those minutes going to him mm. is to for them to go to Nenny almost ha- ha- makes the prospect of the development going even further next season and potentially the season after that as well
0: yeah, I mean, the thing about the the job we asked him to do in those games was basically come in and do what Thomas Partey does. And Thomas Partey, you know, is 28 years of age. He's been there, done that at Atletico Madrid. He's played in the Champions League, Champions League finals. He's, you know, won La Liga, all that kind of stuff. And and it's only really in the last three to four months that Partey has really excelled in that role. So to ask Loconga to come in and do that job, I'm not going to say it was necessarily unfair, but it was a big test for him. And I think the fact that Granit Xhaka was moved back into midfield, um, you know, is... I wonder if he might have benefited from that in the first place. But then I think that speaks to some of the issues or some of the concerns that Mikel Arteta had with with, um, Nuno Tavares. And we did have a question here um, from the Discord. Uh, It said, is Mohamed Elneny the absolute antithesis of Nuno Tavares? And (laughs) does having both of those types of players on the pitch create a tactical issue for opponents and you can kind of see where where he's coming from with that one whereas Nuno like it can be good and bad in the same 10 seconds with Nenny, it's it's pretty steady I mean I do think the tactical issue is one for us more than the opponents <laughs> like I don't know that they would worry necessarily about Nuno Tavares as much as see that area of the pitch as maybe somewhere they could get a bit of joy out of and that's an issue for for Mikel Arteta and his coaching staff to deal with but those those two players, I think very much are the antithesis of each other.
2: Yeah. I think it's something that, um, I've actually been thinking about going into this weekend in terms of how, like, cause so I will be working this weekend at, at the West Ham game. Mm. And just in terms of what I'm thinking of, uh, addressing and rather than it being Tavares and, uh, El Nenny, it's almost, if you want to go total polar opposites, it's Tavares and Tomi mm. um, TNT, if if we want to give them a name. Um, Whereas, as everyone knows, Tavares is almost total chaos on the left, whereas on the right, Tomiyasu is total balance. And I think when you have, um, and I know people have probably made this point quite often in the past few months, but when you have Tomiyasu at that right-back position, I think it just gives a bit more licence for freedom. On the left, and that's where you'll probably see um, teams may struggle to contain Tavares when he is allowed to say one 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 sprint. He might go around the outside. The next one, he might go uh, around the inside. Yeah. Uh, I think the game uh, that probably shows that most is Leicester away in October, um, where. Um, That was when Tierney was being kept out of the side by Tavares. And I think he had a very good day both attacking the outside and inside channels and was able to almost create, not chances by himself, but um, because he was so uh, chaotic, if you want to keep using that word, (laughs) um, he was able to break through the pitch and then Arsenal were able to, to um, create chances off the back of that. So um, I, I do think when you do have almost two players who are complete opposites, it can um, it can maybe cause headaches for Arteta, like you said, and his coach and staff. But I think um, opposition teams would also have those headaches, which is a good thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, we did have questions about uh, Tommy Asu. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, bup, bup, bum. but basically it's like, you know, would you keep uh, Tommy Asu at right back and and maybe, uh, or maybe shift Tommy Asu over to left back, which I, you know, for me, I don't think that's an option. I'm sorry, I can't find the question here. I know it was Greg Justum who said, uh, based on his confession on the Athletic Pod this week, what's his thoughts on Tommy Asu at left back on Sunday? Which side of the pitch needs him more? And I do think, realistically, you 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 play your best right back at right back. The thing that bothered me more about Granite Xhaka at left back wasn't so much Xhaka at left back itself. It was the fact that it weakened us in a in another area in midfield. I think when Tommy Asu, who's been out for such a long time, if he's back, he really strengthens the right-hand side of your defense. So lean into that. Like, Tommy Asu being back does not make Nuno Tavares a more dependable defender, but it might well... Um, lessen the amount that that he has to defend. And while we're talking about Nuno, I just wonder, I'm reminded a bit of a a quote from Mikel Arteta when he talked about Gabriel Martinelli, and he said he's got some gears in his game now. And I think what he meant was he doesn't just do everything at 100 miles an hour. And Nuno reminds me a little bit of like a team of eight-year-olds who are all, are all kind of running around after the ball. You ever see one of those videos? They're like, they're all just <laughs> charging after the ball. And I think one of the things that he probably needs as much as anything, both defensively and offensively, is a bit more composure in his decision-making because he gets into some really amazing positions. Uh, late in the game against Manchester United, Raphael Varane gets attracted to, I think it could be Martin Odegaard on the ball. Space opens up. Nuno charges past Eddie and Kedia to get into the center forward position. Martin Odegaard tries to pass. It's cut out defensively. He does get into really interesting positions. There was a shot over the bar early on in the second half, you know, when he blasted it. Again, just composure at key moments uh, at both ends of the pitch would go a long way for him. But I don't know how you teach somebody composure at this point of the season in a really... Um, in a really short space of time, that feels like something that kind of needs to develop as much as like just saying to a guy, you know, calm down just a little bit. Just take your time. Take a second just to think. Yeah, I think
2: even he, rather than just leaving the past two games with one goal, he could have left it free. Mm. He, had, he had that chance um, at Stanford Bridge when Cedric surprisingly cut it back to him. And then yeah. um, he had uh, another couple of chances that you mentioned against Manchester United. And I think the composure point is quite interesting because as you said, it's not something that's just a quick fix that you can do, especially at a very busy end of the season. Mm. But um, even even with say the mistakes that have happened in terms of maybe rushes shots or um, the decision that he may have taken in a certain instance, I think it's still good that they've happened because then you have almost, if you wanted to, or not, if say Mikel Arteta or someone on the coaching staff wanted Mm. to address that to him, they actually have credible video evidence that they can show him and then they can work off the back of that. So I think it may not be, a quick fix, but even if it's just a little nudge on that, you you don't know if that could maybe influence the way he plays a week, two weeks later, but it would probably more likely be a season or two later. But I think, um, yeah, either way, I'm quite um, happy that um, not only has Mikata trusted him again to go into that left-back spot, but um, there are um still signs that he is getting into those encouraging positions that you mentioned and then hopefully you you're able to almost um just tighten up the game a bit more. Mm. And I guess that's something that's hopefully maybe a pre season, a proper preseason can help that. Um because I, I do think especially like everyone sees the physical attributes. It's just about getting the technical attributes um, more tightened up.
0: Yeah. There's a there's a rawness to him and the way that he plays. That's that's pretty evident in, in every game. Just going back to Tommy Asu, how vital is it that he has returned at this point of the season? Um, personally, I think he's been a big miss, even if for the most part we've been, Pretty good. I know we've had some bad results and some poor performances, but I'm really pleased to to see him back. Uh, and I feel like um, Ben White might be just as happy as all of us to to see him back as well, because I think it was after the the United game and Arteta was talking about players who were kind of on the edge physically, you know, and he mentioned. But Kai Osaka, who went off, he mentioned Granit Xhaka, he mentioned Ben White, as well, who's played more minutes than than anybody else for this team. And I just think that in this run-in, in this absolutely crucial run-in, having that presence that he gives us, like, you know, if you look at Nuno or you look at certain fullbacks, you can see an attacking player that has been repurposed because they weren't quite you know, good enough to be the attacker. So whatever point in their career, they've become a fullback and it happens quite often. But Tommy Asu is a defender, first and foremost. There's no two ways about it. He is just a defender who loves to defend and he can get forward and he can do things. But that defensive presence, I think, is going to be really interesting.
2: I feel even though, say, in his absence, Cedric hasn't done badly, you have seen, especially in Probably more recent weeks, almost mm. the limitations of his game being exposed a bit more, particularly um, up against Jaden Sancho. I think uh, in that first half against Manchester United, I was I was screaming at the TV for Tommy Cassie <laughs> <laughs> for Tommy Asu to come on. And I think it's just that reliability that he brings. I feel even on New Year's Day against Manchester City, he's up against Raheem Sterling, and he. He bossed Sterling for pretty much that whole game, I feel. Um, when not only is he able to put a foot in, he doesn't often back off like many defenders do. Yeah, uh, like He actually stands his ground, which I like a lot because it's almost like I might go on a rant here. <laughs> go for it. Um, like it's one of my pet peeves when defenders just back off and back off and back off and just invite the player into space. Mm-hmm. Tommy actually doesn't do that that often, which I, is one side of his game that I like a lot. Um, another thing is also just the reliability on the ball. I feel um, we know Cedric's more attacking than him in terms of getting into the final third and whipping in crosses and, um, and that side of the game. But when you're looking at Arsenal's build-up play with the ball on the floor, um, Tomiyasu's ability to play off his right and left foot is essential. I think when you see Erdegaard pull out into that uh, half space in front of him and he's able to either clip it around the side or or find him another way, I just feel it gives Arsenal another dimension to their game mm. and they've really missed that, I think, in these past three or so months. Even though Erdegaard and Saka have still been able to um, perform well on that right-hand side. I think having that extra, um, almost uh, key to the puzzle behind them, um, I think it helps a lot. So him coming back for these next five games is going to be, I think, even it's going to be even more important than I could have said in that little segment there because he, he is essential to what Arsenal do, both on and off the ball.
0: Yeah, I mean... Cedric is very much an external fullback. He stays uh, tight to the touchline, whereas Tommy Asu has the experience, of course, of playing centre-half. He plays as the left-sided centre-half for Japan, and that ability to be on the interior as well. As we know, from a defensive point of view... You know, people talk about it as as just, you know, he plays that tucked-in role. He sort of sits in beside the other two central defenders. He can give you that presence. But it's also what he can do with the ball. And the fact, as you say, that he is two-footed, the ability to switch the play more quickly to the other side. And if that other side is a a little more, um, like Cedric, a little more external, you've got Tavares maybe further up the pitch, uh, it gives you maybe a different uh, attacking option. Whereas I think with Cedric, it's either he's on the overlap – and you either use him or you don't use him. He's either a, a decoy runner or he's somebody who's just going to put a cross in. Whereas I think there's just a little more subtlety to the way that the Tamiasu plays. Definitely. And I think having just more
2: problems for opposition teams to answer, yeah. it, it makes you so much more threatening, um, mm. especially when, say, going into these games, I maybe not, but when you see the Brighton... And Southampton games, the second half, particularly, where the teams just go into a deep block. Mm. And it's almost like mm. they're just waiting for crosses to come into the box so they can head them out. I think having another way to attack, even if it is um, uh, uh, just a quicker switch, as you mentioned, it just makes you a bit more dangerous than being that predictable okay, we're going to get it wide to Cedric. He's going to cross it in. Southampton are going to head it out and then we're going to recycle and do it all over again. Yeah, And and then we're going to end the game with 31 crosses and not even a real chance coming from those 31 crosses. Um, so yeah, I feel that variety is just um, a strength really. And it considering he hasn't played in a long time, I think maybe teams might have a bit more of a surprise dealing with it than than they would have done if he was in the team for that long run.
0: Yeah, well, fingers crossed he's, he's fit and ready to start against West Ham and you know he can get those minutes under as well because I do think it is, if not quite transformative for the team, I think it just gives us an extra bit of security, even if it's in our own minds as we uh, prepare for uh, the game at the weekend. Um, we did have a question about... Uh, West Ham, because we're playing them, of course, on Sunday. Uh, Jamie wants to know, what do you think the ideal result is for West Ham today? They're playing in their Europa League uh, semi-final, first leg against Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, It'll be interesting to see what kind of a team they put out at the time of recording. Obviously, we don't know what that's going to be, how strong they go for that one, and then what the result is like, um, which then may inform their... Uh, their team selection for for Sunday. So something I think that makes them work in that second leg would be <laughs> ideal for us, no? Yeah, I think you saw in their team
2: selection for the Chelsea game, they went with a, a heavily rotated team, and then obviously Craig Dawson got sent off. So I'm not actually sure um, if their other centre-backs have returned to fitness yet, but that'll be an interesting one to mm-hmm. keep an eye on. Um because especially with, say, the way Eddie Nketiah plays, if he's harassing a centre-back that doesn't usually play centre-back, that might work into his hands quite well. Um, But yeah, just... For West Ham, they'd probably... I reckon they'd be happy with a draw, even though this is the home leg. Mm. For Arsenal, you just want a performance that's draining. Yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah. And then, and then you can go. You can go off that. But again, it's almost. I don't know if it's almost a mute point because Arsenal last week had that really short turnaround of a Wednesday night and a Saturday lunchtime kickoff. Yeah. And they kind of built off that momentum. Um, so it it obviously can work in Arsenal's favour this week potentially, but I wouldn't uh, almost rule out West Ham. Still being able to put up a fight against Arsenal, um, just because they have Thursday a Thursday Sunday turnaround.
0: Yeah, I mean, and the thing to say about the the game against Chelsea um, is that even though they had a rotated side, it took a very 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 late goal for mm. Chelsea. You know, when West Ham were actually down to ten men to make. That breakthrough, and I know Chelsea have gone through a little tricky patch in the last few weeks, which we um, have contributed to, which I think we all enjoy, but it's a demonstration that even if West Ham rests some players, even if they have some injuries and and some tweaking of their team to do, the idea that just because they do those things, it will be easy for Arsenal is not really there. We're going to have to work very hard, whatever kind of team West Ham put out.
2: Yeah, you saw it with the with the Brighton game <laughs> uh, and the Southampton game. Mm. Both teams in horrible runs of form. Southampton had just lost six 0 to Chelsea. They beat Arsenal one nil. <laughs> so I think almost preempting that uh, theory of it being an easy day, out, easy day out yeah. um, in East London is almost. It's almost dangerous <laughs> to do that because it, it almost feels like attempting fate too much. Um, but that being said, Arsenal have had what it would have been eight days, um, which is much much longer than they had last week. And hopefully, with that, they were able to almost fine tune a few things.
1: Yeah.
2: As we were talking about with Tomiyasu earlier, hopefully that's given him more time to to get more minutes than he against manchester united so there's definitely going to be benefits but you can't just almost as you said rule make one rule yeah. to say this is exactly what's going to happen because west ham have done this this and this uh, a couple of days beforehand
0: let's move on and just talk about one of the other big stories of the week um which is the links to Gabriel Jesus, Manchester City striker. Um, As the the story has developed over the last week or so, we've got, Um, information that it's you know it's all been discussed between the player and his agent it's all done from that perspective the the only thing which is still quite a significant thing is for the two clubs you know to come to an agreement and and i guess for the player as well to you know to agree to join arsenal which may or may not be dependent on where we finish in the league we don't quite know what he's looking for next season what other options he might have you know if, if arsenal are interested there are sure to be other teams who could potentially offer champions league football interested but first is he a player you'd uh, you'd like to see in red and white he's one that i'd have to do a bit more um
2: watching the tape <laughs> on because if i'm being totally honest i only see him in flashes mm. um i i haven't almost religiously watched gabriel jesus over his what is it almost Five years? Yeah. Five and a half years at City, which seems crazy because I, I feel like it was only like yesterday that he was making his debut. I think it was against Tottenham um, in the sixteen seventeen season. But yeah, he's not one that I've watched religiously, but he is a player that I think does have the talent. And I think when... You almost forgot about him because Sergio Aguero was so good at City, but he was just almost clocking up his numbers, clocking up his numbers. Now he's 25, I believe, coming into that age where he'd almost want to be the guy. Uh, I'm not sure if that's ever truly going to happen at City because of the way that they play. Um, And I feel it could be a good fit for Arsenal, especially when you consider the demands Mikel Arteta puts on his strikers in terms of being able to press, being able to actually drop into that pocket, if you want to call it a 10 pocket and be a bit more dynamic. So you're not just someone to bounce off, but someone who can actually move with the ball as well, which obviously Arsenal didn't have for a few months uh, this season. Mm -hmm. So um I see it as something promising, but I I have to admit I would have to do a bit more um, uh, time watching him and seeing I guess the nuances of his game a bit more to to develop uh, a fully formed opinion on him and how he properly fits Arsenal. But I would say also I, I I'm not sure if just him would be enough. Um,
0: yeah. And- yeah. Sorry. We had a question. Uh, bum, bum, bum. Here it is uh, from Dangernomics. He said, uh, say over the summer, we signed Gabriel Jesus and Cody Gakpo for a combined 70 million, both wide fours who can play through the middle rather than true nines. Would you be satisfied with that approach to address striker going into next season? Or are you of the opinion that, that this is a team which needs maybe more of a, a focal point up front um you know the the idea of having that really shit hot center forward is very very appealing but as we're seeing um and have seen in, in recent years it's not always necessary to have that figurehead kind of a striker if you've got players who are mobile, who are versatile, who can play in wide positions, who can attack from different directions, who can get in the box, who basically are strikers but play wide, you know? Mm, I, I would personally like to see just a contrast of profile
2: maybe. Um, and you you have that in Gabriel Jesus and um, Gagpo, where obviously Gagpo has been playing more on the wing, um throughout his career but he's still got the attributes to perform well uh through the middle i think when you look at his height and his stature mm. you almost you if you weren't to know him um or who he was you would probably assume he'd be a striker i think um playing through the middle all the time sure um whereas that's not te- uh that's not always the case um and like you say i think just having almost different ways to unlock teams. So if it's a, a taller striker through the middle who can be someone to bounce off, but also be able to stretch the defense, that's cool. But then being able to switch it up at certain points and having maybe a more nimble player who's a bit more scrappy and a bit more of someone who can um, link the play and drive, I think having both options um, would be very nice Um, rather than just almost having one way of thinking, one way of attacking. I think you saw it almost, this probably isn't, I can probably pick a better example, Um, but if you look at, say, the late Wenger years, you had Giroud who could do that um, vocal point role really well. And then you had Walcott who could do the running in behind quite well. Mm. Um, and people probably think those two <laughs> weren't necessarily great centre-forwards for Arsenal, but having that contrast worked quite well um, in, in that period. So um, I think that's probably what um, my taste sure. would be drawn to.
0: I reckon. Are you are you encouraged by the fact that somebody like Gabriel Jesus is on the shopping list is a target that's the level of of player and I know some people out there have reservations but we're talking about a guy who's 25 years of age who's got a load of Premier League experience who has won the Premier League title loads of Champions League experience lots of goal contributions for Man City over those five years and and is heading into his best years as a player heading into his prime as they say so that kind of signing like i think we all were encouraged by the plan of last year you know go young buy young um fill key positions strengthen defensively there wasn't a great deal of emphasis on the attacking side of of what we did last summer but there is a big or a, a big need to emphasize the attacking um aspects of this team in this summer's transfer business. So we all know there's loads of names are going to swirl around during the summer and and that's inevitable because of the way that the transfers work. But this feels like You know, in in my experience anyway, when dealing with transfers and transfer rumors, you can tell the ones that are a load of shit and you can tell the ones that have some substance to them. And this certainly is one that has some substance to it. I don't mean to say that it's definitely going to happen or, you know, we all know things can go different ways. But in terms of the profile of the player and the level of ambition that it shows, are you encouraged by that aspect of it?
2: I think so. When you look at Arsenal's striking department over the past maybe three years, so if we just take Niquel his time in charge because he hasn't signed a striker yet, yeah. um, you've got almost the two polar opposites in terms of profile. You have the senior player who's coming towards the end of his prime, I guess, and then you have... A really young player who hasn't really got the experience, has some talent, but hasn't quite found their rhythm, I guess, in senior football. So, Eddie and Ketty and Flo Balogun, if you want to include him in sure. that as well. And you just, especially when it comes to a striker, I feel you need um, someone who has the middle ground of that, almost as you say, mid 20s, has a decent amount of experience and just knows how to deal with certain situations, not just in the Premier League, but just top leagues in general, I feel you you need someone who is able to get through those moments where, um, it's not going to be easy for you. And I just feel, as you mentioned, it is encouraging to see, um, that what is being looked at is someone who, um, has that experience, but it's not just token experience because you've seen timeless. uh, It's been, I I can't think of a proper example now, but you can buy a player who is say 27, 28 years old because you think they have experience and they don't necessarily add any quality to your squad. Lucas Um, Perez. He he was actually in my mind. (laughs) I mean that I think uh, yeah. it's almost age doesn't necess- necessarily mean that a player is properly experienced um having someone who has gone through those almost steps gradually because we we have to remember as mentioned before Gabriel Jesus has not been Manchester City's starting number 9 since he walked through the door he's mm. had moments where he's almost been deputy to Sergio Aguero. He's had moments where he's he's been their their starter. Um he's had moments like like more recently this season where he's almost playing out wide and uh finding a different side to his game. So I think someone finding someone who's rounded mm. in that sense is really beneficial. And then once you have that player um you can then maybe go for um a more experimental kind of profile, someone who's maybe younger, who you'd want to develop in the same way that Arsenal have done with, say, the players that they bought last summer, like Odegaard, Lokonga, Tavares, Ramsdale and Ben White. Um, But with, say, the striking department and especially central midfield, I think it's about finding those players with quantifiable experience.
0: Yeah. I think that the thing that makes the Gabriel Jesus thing most interesting for me is is just how well Mikel Arteta knows him. He knows what his team is missing and he knows Gabriel Jesus very well. So whether he you know, feels like he can work his coaching magic and repurpose him to be that player um, or that he's got the potential to do the job that he wants him to do, augmented by... You know, if you're thinking about wide positions at Arsenal, Martinelli and Smithrow on the left, you've got Saka on the right. If you add somebody like Cody Gakpo or a different kind of player, you've got these interchangeable pieces. So he doesn't necessarily have that responsibility to be like the number nine where he's in the box the whole time. But to do... Um, some of the things that Lacazette did well, but also provide that bit of penalty box presence, and I do, I do think that's an interesting aspect of 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 this particular link. But look, that's something for the summer. We've got a lot to deal with between now and then, um, and we better leave it there for today. Uh, Art, thank you very much indeed. Happy enough with that one? Yeah, thanks for
2: having me, and um, I hope I was able to. Uh- Better my last appearance um, and hopefully next time I'm on, I'm on, I'll be able to bed this one with a few less moments like that where I talk over myself and mumble a little bit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. we've all done that. we're all there. I do it all the time, so don't worry about it. Listen, great to talk to you, thanks a million. Cheers. Thank you very much indeed. to art you can find him on Twitter. He is at Art deroche Art deroche and he writes about Arsenal for the athletic. So that's just about that for this week's show. We will, of course, be previewing the West Ham game and having more pod chats with Lewis over on Patreon a little bit later on today, Friday. Just a very, very final reminder, because we are on April 29th, so there's like one or two days of this month left, which is just to say that every penny that we make from our Patreon this month is going to be donated to UNICEF. That's every single penny that comes in via Patreon will go directly to UNICEF to help kids around the world who are impacted and affected by the horrors of war and conflict. And hopefully we can go some way to making a small difference to many lives. If you sign up right now at patreon.com forward slash arseblog, you get access to everything that we do. Preview podcasts, our back catalog, the archives, there's a free audio book, discord chat. All of that is available straight away and your money this month will go to unicef you don't have to stay for longer than a month if you don't want to just sign up make your donation take all the good stuff it will be our pleasure to give you that as well as making this donation so to sign up just go to patreon.com forward slash blog right that's that here's to a good weekend for the arsenal james and i will be here on monday with an ArsCast extra please join us for that until then take it easy folks bye bye
1: This is B, 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 B,
0: B, B, C News. Breaking news. To kick off this bulletin and social media platform, Twitter has confirmed that the company has been bought by the world's richest
1: man. That man is with us now, Mick Bentner. What are your plans for Twitter? Hello there, I'm Mick Bentner. And I am the greatest striker that ever lived and the richest man in the world. Yes, we're all very much aware of that, but you have bought twitter.com. You must have big plans. Oh for sure we're gonna make Twitter bigger and better than ever before. But but how exactly are you going to do that? Well, you know, uh can uh, basically that you know essentially fundamentally i would say in essence that we're just gonna let anyone do whatever they want you know they can say what they want they can type what they want they can use whatever language they want you know because i am when it boils right down to it a knight in shining armor for free speech I'm sure there are many people listening to this
0: who would say, yes, free speech is important, but what about laws, libel? What about abuse and racism and sexism and homophobia? What about standards? Are these things that
1: you've thought about?
0: I see. However, I would imagine after spending uh, $40 billion or more to buy Twitter.com, you have a very defined idea of what free speech is.
1: Oh, yes, of course. And what is it? Uh Look over there! I'm going to send the fridge-freezer into space! Gotta go! See you later!
0: That was Mick Bentner, the new owner of Twitter.com. Moving on with the news, and today in California, a sad incident in which an electric driverless car mowed down a group of small children, orphans in fact, who were being taken to the zoo on their first ever day out. The CEO of the company expressed little remorse over what had happened, saying that...